Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Lowdown Society podcast. This episode was recorded on the high seas on the Monsters of Rock Cruise 2019, which took place at the very end of February and the beginning of March. Uh, A lot of the great bands of the 80s melodic hard rock era was on the cruise in early 90s as well. And um, I had the pleasure of chatting with a few of my friends that I really never get to sit down with. Mr. Bruno Ravel from the band Danger Danger, who's a guy that's behind almost all of the band's songs and on their later records he also played pretty much all the instruments. Uh, Terrific engineer and producer as well, so he's graduated from being a bass player, but I was interested in a lot of his old synths in the bass world. And also on the cruise, even though his boss was not playing on the cruise, was Lita Ford's current bass player. Marty O'Brien. And Marty and I have been talking about getting together for a barbecue in LA where we both live, but as it turns out, this hang in my cabin, somewhere off the coast of Cuba, I think, uh, ended up happening before that. So as you'll notice, as we head into the podcast, I had everything rolling, and Bruno and Marty, who'd never met prior just both started talking about Spectre basses and their love for Spectre basses before I even got any kind of order in the classroom. Uh, But I'm going to roll the tape from when they both stepped in the room and let you guys enjoy it. So welcome to the Lowdown Society and our very first Rock Roundtable. Enjoy. Custom colors and stuff, right? You still oh, have this the, back in the day, yeah. Did you have a pink? You saw the pink I one? I still got the pink one, right. yeah. It's got the badass bridge on it, though, which is odd, right? It's a... Uh, so that's a... It's a... Uh, uh, it's a Brooklyn, Brooklyn yeah, made. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I, I found odd because it was it was Kramer when I when oh, really? I started with them. But that's the the first base they gave me was that. I don't know why I picked wow. pink, but I think maybe, w- maybe it was made there and then it got painted over there because they weren't doing they weren't painting on over. In, in right. I remember there was uh, you know are you familiar with uh, um, like that band Hardline? Oh yeah. Okay, so the brothers Johnny and. <laughs> Yeah, but the two J's, whatever, Gioli, right? The two guys. They had a band based out of Philly, like way back in the day, like when Spectre was first coming out. And the bass player had a pink Spectre. Really? And, and you know, I mean, it's kind of weird to get a pink Spectre, but, but when I saw it on stage, I was like when all the, like, the, the whole, that whole scene was blowing up, so I was like, yeah. I gotta get one like that. That's how it happened? So, yeah, yeah, that's how it happened. Did you custom order it? Like, I need a pink one? I just said, I want a pink one. Wow. And they must so, have painted one they already had. It must have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Crazy quick weird story. Uh, Rachel Boland was Skid Row. Sure, Rachel, yeah. I go, I go, I gotta know. I said, your your white sparkle one that's in all the Skid Row videos, I go, was that a custom from Kramer? Like, I want a white sparkle one? Or did they go, hey, we got this white sparkle, because that's a custom thing. Right. And he goes, he goes, no, I, I asked him for it. And he goes, but you know, he goes, it's actually pink. It's a pink sparkle base that faded. He goes, because way back oh, in the right, day... Oh, right, right, back back in the day, it was pink, right. He goes, way back in the day, I was all about pink everything. And I was like, what? <laughs> what the I hell thought the videos, it looked white to me, but maybe it was already faded by yeah, then. Yeah, no, it was pink, now that I, now I think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need to go back and look now. Oh, that's some funny shit. Right? Waters, gentlemen? Uh, sure. We got some yeah, from sure Bat we're... Catering yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how we do it. Oh, nice, nice bat up in here. <laughs> bat Cave. I should oh. do this more often. I've never done two guys because, you know, 
You know, it's that, actually one bass player and one guy that tries to play bass every once on. in a while. Are you, dude, don't, e- don't even go there. I was telling him yesterday, I go, what do you want to get me involved with this podcast for? I go, you're doing so good before. Oh, I- come on now. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do the official uh, welcome to the Lowdown Society. Today we're trying something new. Uh, we're having a, uh, if three people is a rock round table, we're having a rock bass round table today. We got Bruno from the Ravel, right? Is yeah, that pronounced yeah. Bruno from Danger Danger, one of my favorite rock and roll bands of all time, actually. Thanks, bro. Love it. And we got Marty O'Brien from uh, who plays for Lita Ford nowadays, yeah, but who's yes. done a bunch of cool stuff. We're gonna germ him about, as we say in Nashville. <laughs> germ is Nashville speak really? for like fan bother annoying questions. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So when you go up to like a boss, at, like a star at Starbucks or something, you're yeah. germing. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a big no-no back in Nashville. You know, Germ. G H E R M. Germing. There's a lot of Germing happening on this boat, but a lot of oh, people yeah. are friendly about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I open the door. Marty steps in. Bruno's already in the room, and uh, they never met each other. And uh, already it's Spectre talk. Of course. I always get to the gear shit at the end of these yeah, things, yeah. but let's let's begin there. You both are hardcore Spectre guys, right? Yeah, For yeah, the yeah, most yeah. part. Yeah. yeah. Way back in the and, that, I, and I knew who he was mostly through, because like in the 90s, I, I was buying and collecting like, I would never keep more than like five or six, but I always had like five or six, and I was in like this little network of four or five maybe, you know, like five guys total. One guy was in Canada, one guy was in Florida, and they were all like collectors or buyers that were all into it. And, and this is before, this is like 94 or whatever. And there wasn't any email. So we would literally write letters to each other with some photos. Hey, I got this tobacco burst. I heard you have this white fretless. Any chance you want to cut a deal? Because I'm looking for one of these. It was like this little network. Anyway, you were known as being the guy that had a couple custom colors. Like, yeah, yeah. that pink one. I wonder if he still has that pink oh, one. Like, yeah. you know, it was like this, like... You know, yeah. people are always trying to get me to sell. I have a, an NS5 with the jazz pickups and tobacco burst. Oh, that I have with, a, with, and, a, and with the V serial number on it. It's like V. They only made, I think they only made eighty-eight of those things. Oh man, but it's so like I had a, a black one. Yeah. They gave me one for to do one of the videos, and then like they asked for it back, and I just kept like not calling them back. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll get that to you next time I come down. And look at that. He's just, I still have it. In but the, that's the one that everybody asked me to sell more in, than any other one. In like in around somewhere around like ninety-six or something, I bought a black one for two grand. Yeah. I was like, I'll never sell it. And some guy was like, I'll give you four grand for that. I'm like, let's do it. this. <laughs> I literally, like, four months later, I doubled my money on that yeah, thing. That's right? lovely. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not specters or basses at all, the uh, guitar player in my band on this trip for the, for Mitch Malloy, the singer who I played for, we're on the Monsters of Rock cruise ship, by yes. the way. Yes. So it's just a bunch of old, sweaty rock and roll dudes oh, on a cruise ship. It's great. Currently floating. Currently floating. We're somewhere uh, off the coast of Cuba, I think. Yes. But the guy I'm playing with, Mitch Malloy, we had a guitar player on this gig named Paul Warren, who's played for Tina Turner for many years, wow. Rod Stewart for many years, Joe Cocker for many years. He was Richard Marks' original band leader back when Richard was the biggest pop rock act in the league. So cool. So he sometimes posts on Facebook about bad instrument deals. Because he's 65 and he no longer gives a crap about anything. So he posted some story about some 58 Explorer, I think, Gibson Explorer. So I asked him about it yesterday. He said, I I had had an old Explorer, headstock got broken. A guitar tech of mine screwed up the headstock. I paid paid two grand for it back in the 
1979 or something. He sold it for a little more than that, even with a broken headstock. So he bought another one for 4200 just a year later, a 58 Explorer. And uh, played it for two years, and somebody offered him 10 grand. And he told his girlfriend or wife at the time, he said, I'm going to sell this thing because before this guy realizes that he's an idiot, I'm going to take his money. Yeah. And so he did. And uh, 58 Explorers go for 1.2 million now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of nothing, uh, do you guys have bases that you le never sell? Like yeah. Spectres, I assume, for both of you guys. The, the Tobacco Burst NS5 single coil jazz pickups? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the old ones that I have, like I have... Um, I have like four or five of them from back in that day. That mm -hmm. I mean, look, it's, it's been, that come on hard times, of course. Or somebody, yeah. somebody blows me away with an offer. Yeah, but I have a couple of old like P bases from the seventies. I have an original, as uh, a seventy-three P base that Randy Jackson, not the Randy Jackson from Star, uh, American mm -hmm. Idol, the other one, the, the studio mm -hmm. guy. Mm -hmm. My dad actually. Is a was a professional musician, a violinist in the New York Philharmonic. He was a violinist, uh -huh. so he used to do sessions all the time. And Randy Jackson would always be the bass player. So when I was first wow. growing up, uh, I was like, all I wanted was like you know a Gibson Grabber or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. a Jean Hat, or, yeah, exactly, you know what yeah. I mean, or an Explorer, or something yeah. like crazy, you know. And so my dad's like, I go, no, I just want a bass. You know, so my first bass was like a, a early seventies Mustang. But I, I hated it, so I got rid of it like right away. And then my dad was like, you want a bass? He goes, I'll get you a proper bass. I said, so he took Randy Jackson to Manny's on 48th Street yeah. and bought me this, like, and it's all just natural, natural wood, P bass, it's all stock. And I, it's, the funny story about this bass is that I got it, and I had it for a while, and I loved it. And then, of course, I, I started to get into, like, the whole flash thing, and somebody traded me a... Um, you ready for this? A GNL, uh, like when they first came out with like the Music Man pickups thing, like a, it was like a four string, it was white, it was beautiful, and I just traded him the P bass for that, like straight up, and and so then because I was into like uh, you know like playing like Duran Duran and shit like that, like I was into all that kind of bass playing at the time, yeah. and that was the sound, so I traded it, and here's the funny story. So immediately, like a couple of years later, I regret it. I was like, oh my god, I'm such an idiot. I sold that damn P base, my original P base, and so years later, I run into the guy that swapped it for me, and and he goes, he goes, hey, you still have my base? And I go, yeah, I go, yeah, you still have my base? He goes, yeah. He goes, it's under my bed. I never played. I go, you want to trade back? And he said yes. What are the, what are the chances? So I man? got it back, and it was like, and I've never touched it since. That's killer. Like, so I still have that base. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, since we're on the topic, and that's what you guys just started with the Spectre thing, it is the sound of, like, the genre that you guys both are sort of known for. That's sort of the tone, just like yeah. Motown is known for, like, yeah. high-action, flat-wound, yeah, you yeah. know, Rosewood P-Bass. Rose, yeah. You know, Absolutely. Spectre is, like, the sound of a yeah. lot of, uh, you yeah. know, like, 80s, 90s hard rock and yeah. glam rock. And how, yeah, how did yeah. that become the tone? Why 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 does it work so well? I think it's I think they 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 stick out from the P bass thing absolutely because they have like this bite to it. Mm -hmm. I always do like you know like you mentioned how you love the uh, the 
the Jimmy Bain bass tone. Oh yeah, oh, like I'm, I'm a hor- I'm a I'm a horrible. Don't get me started talking about <laughs> no, that. No, no, you. I, That's I, like I, adding an addict talking about drugs, man. But I'm on the page with you on that. The, but but what you like about that bass tone, even though it's not a Spectre. I mean, well, he did play. It, he, did, he did play some Spectre, but yeah. the the bite of like a little bit of fret buzz, a little bit of digging in, and mm-hmm. just that that bite that it has is what I like about the Spectre. You know. Do you guys think it's a next three thing? Because what he's talking about is uh, the Jimmy Bain on the Holy Diver record, the first deal. It's a growl to it. Jimmy Bain was always known to play a Yamaha BB three thousand live. He's known yeah. for that instrument, yeah. but few people know he played a BB two thousand on the record, which oh. has the reverse P bass pickup, like most of the awesome NS fours. You know, oh, yeah. and that reverse P to me is 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 first of all, I think the neck through helps that mid range bite that yeah, the yeah. P bass is absolutely. Hard and I think that J pickup close to the bridge gets yeah. that bite out. And I also yeah, think yeah. the flipped P bass. I have on my main session bass for many years, which is in that gig bag, yeah. an old Slavsky, twenty years old now, has a flip reverse P in yeah. the front, so that the low B and the E string gets more tightness, and yeah. the skinny strings, which are smaller to begin with yep. and thinner, get more warmth. I mean, to me, it just makes all the sense, unless you've got a hard-on to have a classic P-bass tone, yeah. in quotation marks. That's why marks. my two main things are, are the Spectre and an old, like you mentioned the P-bass thing, like that the round tone, I have right. two, yeah. both what I use, and you, you mentioned basses that will never sell, same thing, yeah. I have a 61 P-bass yeah. that just haven't put new strings on it in 15 years, I broke a string on it recently, and I was like devastated, I'm like, these are the same strings I recorded 12 <laughs> yeah. years ago on the Kelly Clarkson record, you know, they're yeah. the same yeah. strings. Yeah. Anyway, and I'll never sell that one, because it's like, it, uh, you know, it's the one I just kept forever, and it's yeah. like it's on all the big sessions I did, and I always, well, I'll always keep it, you know. But then, it, because it's so different from the Spectre thing, you know, you yeah. get the growl, the more modern rock kind of yeah. thing out of those Spectres, yeah. Yeah, I've always preferred myself. I think I grew up on a lot of hard rock and metal tones where the bridge pickup was full, full on. Too. Yeah, yeah. And there's a click out of that pick that I think. Yep. Here's me being an old bitter dude, but I think a lot of young rock guys now they want to play an old '70s looking P bass with a freaking telephone cable because it looks yeah. cool and Zeppelin-y, and then they they can't get enough bite out of the pick because it's a warm sounding P bass without a bridge pickup, so yeah. they use a bunch of distortion or fuzz. Yeah. That's the thing now yeah. to get attitude. Yeah. And I think the attitude is in the fret bus and the bridge yeah, pickup yeah. being on because that. that click will replace distortion as attitude. Yeah. This is my very personal. It's opinion. funny that you mentioned that because I'm like I'm, I do a lot of studio work as well, right? So I fool around with trying to get recreate tones as well without actually having the bass or the pickup, mm-hmm. and I find that a lot of the bass players now are doing that, putting a dark glass or something, yeah, you yeah. Know, to get the growl mm-hmm. or something for distortion, even an amp sim, right? Yeah. To get the distortion, and so I was like mixing something recently, and I didn't have. The growl that he was, we're talking about the Spectre thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, doubled the DI, you know, I was trying to mess with it, whatever, threw Dark Less on it, and I got it. But then it's funny because then I listened to it in the mix and I'm going, this sounds like ass. Mm-hmm. I was like, this doesn't sound good. And I kind of stripped it back again and, and went back to the beginning and I said, let me create it by playing a Spectre or getting it yeah. a more natural tone and cleaning it up, but still having the, the, the little bit of dirt, the little bit of breakup that, yeah, that, yeah. That the preamp gives you, or whatever the neck through, right? Yeah. And it's just so much better. I mean, it's like night and day. I find that too many of these like younger dudes are trying to just throw some some fuzz on the top, get a little yeah. sub on the bottom, and they think, you know, oh, this is it, you know? Yeah. No, that doesn't mean you're Doug Pinnock. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah the, the hearing uh, it digging in yeah. with the right hand is is where that to me where the yeah. growl I'm talking about comes yeah. from. Not I think we're all of the, on the same page. I totally think so. Yeah, there. yeah, totally. Uh, 
my hero growing up actually plays the P bass, but he plays the P bass with a uh, bridge pickup in it. Uh, when it comes to metal, and he's still my number one metal guy. Everyone's like, Steve Harris's right hand is the sound of metal, or James Hetfield's right hand is the sound of metal. I'm like Peter Baltus's right hand is the oh, sound wow. of metal oh, from Accept. Except. And he's my old neighbor in Nashville, and obviously in the last two years, I've germed the fuck, <laughs> the, the fuck out of him. Wait a minute, I'm cutting my lawn right now? Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 he's, he's, he has German work ethic, Peter does. He'll call me at 7 a.m., which is like three hours after I go to bed. He goes, Victor, I'm up, the coffee's ready. You want to come over and talk, listen to some music? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Hold on, I'm still asleep. But, but he, to me plays with, to this day, he plays with a super clean tone, the bridge pickup dimed, and, and just like new strings. And no matter how clean the tone is, you can actually hear how hard he's playing when there's no distortion on yeah, the bass. Yeah. And that to me That's is the most hard. metal of bass tones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not a huge like mm -hmm. Cliff guy from Metallica. That's cool that everyone is, it's just not, I like it cleaner. Yeah. You know? So uh, the only Spectre I've owned it was a few years ago, and it, I, I bought it for four hundred dollars from, you know, from mm -hmm. from Spectre. I think it was probably nine hundred in the stores. It's the the guy from Nickelback, Mike Kroger, oh, yeah, his signature yeah, yeah, okay. and it was like super Korean lower line, and yeah. it was really a fantastic, fantastic instrument. Yeah. It really was. Um, cool. So I'm I'm sure I'll be hopping on that train because uh, lately I've been playing less and less uh, pop country, which was my bread and butter for many years. So now that I live in LA, I get to you know dig into a lot of the tones of my childhood, and yeah, and, yeah. and uh, you know Marty on on Tuesday nights uh, at the whiskey, there's a big jam. Doug from King Sex is there often. You're there often. Yeah. I'm there a bit, and uh, and it's great because we I get to play a lot of those songs that, yeah, that yeah. I sort of grew up on or whatever, and I and I try to get more in you guys' tonal world than I ever have yeah. been. You need to come over sometime and play some stuff like <laughs> oh, the house, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Take some to. bases. And we'll so, with all those specters, which is your number one touring? Is there a thing where I leave my best one at home? I, That's yeah. me. Yeah, you've played a white... Yeah, I have a, a Euro. Yeah. Because I, 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 for, for a while, I tried to, like, you know, I was trying to be conservative, yeah. at least on the road. Yeah. So, I would just kind of just grab, like, a five-string jazz bass, whatever I could get my hand on, and... Mm -hmm. Then I was like really, you know, craving the specter tone, mm -hmm. yeah. and so I was like trying to find a way. It's got to be a way to get a has in, in a jazz bass. Like mm -hmm. yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. like all these things to just try and kind of circumvent paying the money, yeah. or even with a deal from from Spectre, you know. Yeah. So it, it took me a while to come back around, and I was like, you know what? I'm just like I'm fooling myself. There's nothing like this. Yeah. I so know, right? same thing with me. I was yeah, like, right. you I know, tried to veer away yeah. and just come back. Yeah. And so then I got a couple of five Euro fives. And because we tuned down a lot, and so I, I was doing the whole like tune down this, the you know the A or C or whatever you know, and it didn't work for me. I just kept reaching for the low B, yeah. and I'd been playing it for so long. You know, there's a lot of four stringers mm -hmm. guys that look at me. They go, dude, I don't know how you play a five. I don't know how you play a five. And I go, yeah, when I pick up a four now, it's a little weird because yeah. I'm always constantly doing this, yeah, yeah. and then it's not Same. there. So, but I actually tried to fool myself a little by detuning de a four and just yeah. forcing myself to play it for a while. Yeah. And I find that I didn't go as much up like for the yeah. high notes as much, I just kind of stayed, yeah. Yeah, stayed yeah. in my zone. But anyway, so uh, um, back to the Spectre. So uh, yeah, so I just play the Euros on the road and you know they get me the sound that I want mm -hmm. and then I have you know uh, the good stuff at home. Well, not the good stuff, they're all good. I've heard a few Euros sound devastatingly awesome. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, they, recorded, I've yeah. recorded with like the, the 
Czech Republic yeah, ones yeah, from yeah. the 2000s. Yeah. The SSDs, I, right? I played, I played a five-string CR5, you know, the Czech Republic, on, one, a, yeah. on a Celine Dion record. Yeah. And it was like the same bass I played when I like I did a, a Disturbed tour, so it was like, it's like a metal-looking black Spectre, yeah. and it's on a Celine Dion record. What do you have? Do you have all hazards, or do you, like, Bartolini's, and you get crazy with the All, all EMGs, and... Uh, the, the ones I love are the Kramer era right, ones, right. you know. But the my you were asking about number ones. My yeah. my main number one, which I actually toured with with everybody forever. For, I had I've owned it for like twenty years, is actually Pat Badger from Extremes bass from all their videos. Like get did the he play it on Pornography? Oh, that's too, a, I thought he played it on Pornography, and I just learned from him recently that most of the bass on that he told me is a head. Uh, what do you call it? The Steinberger. Steinberger. But the one that actually is shaped like a bot, like it has a body shape, but it still has no headstock. Yeah, the anyway, half so, and half Steinberger. So my my main black four string that I've been using with Lita lately, and I used it uh, twenty years ago. I used it in my metal band Kilgore and like the mm -hmm. Ozfest and stuff. I bought that from him like twenty years ago or more, actually longer, like twenty five years ago, and I've had it since. So what are the details on that? Your main, what kind of woods and. It's, it's just a Kramer era Kramer Spectre, era, yeah. like the 88, you know, like a stock, but yeah. it's, it's beat to hell, but I've always played it everywhere, and I finally just found one that I can use as like a duplicate of it. I found a black 88, but I don't know if you know about this, when Kramer was going out of business, they were like, okay, you guys are done, like, get rid of everything you oh, got. Oh, yeah. There's all these base, there's all these Spectres out there, some of them are like, like, whoa, hold on, this is a... NS2A, but it has the inlays. It's not supposed to be right. Wow, it's an NS2 like Japanese base, but it has the big American. And there's there's apparently like a couple hundred out there with no serial numbers. Oh. And there's people that are get screwed over on Craigslist, like they think they're buying an American base, and it's like no, it has the the bridge from the American, but no serial number. Anyway, they call them like Frank inspectors. Anyway, mm -hmm. so I've I, heard of that. Yeah. Over the years, I've bought a couple, and I have two Frank inspectors that I that I actually have on the road with me with Lita Ford now. I have a red one and a black one. And I found a couple that are awesome, but like they don't have serial numbers. So you, if you went to go sell it, you have to explain it to somebody. Look, it's like the on this red one, the body, the body is an NS2A body that they like the the factory in Japan must have said, all right, just put them in a cargo ship and send them to the New Jersey, and they probably just put the the American inlays. You know, the oh, big wow. inlays or the put a bridge so they're all kind of mixed up anyway so maybe after this episode you'll get a bunch of creepy Facebook messages yeah. from Spectre bass players asking oh, yeah. about details oh yeah for sure I, I still chatted up all about that stuff but you're a four stringer right? I uh, for, always was four string but then like in the late 90s I kind of made that d decision to I said you know what I'm going to buy one five string because like Corn was coming out and all these yeah. different bands and I go I'm going to buy a five string just to be prepared if anything comes up and I swear to God, as soon as I bought the five string, it was like the band uh, stained. Like they came out, and there was a there was a time when they were like, "Hey, our, our bass player, you know, I was I almost was gonna fill in on some shows because like when they first started touring, he was like sick, or whatever." And uh, I was like, "Wow, like I wouldn't have been able to do that gig." And then literally, I moved to L.A. right after that, and I got the audition with Tommy Lee and his band Methods of Mayhem. Like was all five string, dropped to A. And I tell people, you know, like, like I don't like five string. I'm, it's not my thing. I, I go, oh yeah, I go. I wouldn't be sitting right here right now on this huge whatever tour, like mm -hmm. twenty years later or whatever, if I wasn't prepared and got a call. Can you come audition for Tommy Lee? It was all not only five string dropped to A, you know, yeah. had to be prepared, you know. I've, uh, Sweden, obviously, where I'm from, is a, to this day puts out a lot of metal. Yeah. Everything from like the most 
more melodic and pop hard rock than Danger Danger even. Like oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. even more like happy oh, yeah. go lucky oh, melodic, yeah. almost Toto, but yeah. still kind of hard rock. Even from that to like complete death breath, Cookie Monster vocal <laughs> sure, stuff. Yeah. And a lot of those Swedish guys, because I, I stalk them quite a bit on social media, they are doing, uh, they're doing the Czech Republic for uh, what are they called? You know, Spectre. At, is it LX Four? Euro. Euro XL. Euro. Euro yeah. Yeah. LX or LXL? I think I always forget. I think they change, well, the, I'm not sure, but the, <laughs> the two that I have are made in Czech Republic, and they're they're called CR Five. It was like the CR model, well, but, but then they yeah. then they became Euros. But was that Euro. SSD? Was that Stuart Spectre design? Does that say SSD on the on the headset, or is it still just a Spectre logo? Yeah, they're, well, they're all back to just Spectre now. Oh, they are. It was okay. a short period where he didn't own the trademark right. yet, and they right. had to get it. Oh yeah. Small short period. Yeah, I have one of those. Oh wow. I have one that says SSD. SSD it's a five yeah. string. I used to use it in the studio. Yeah. yeah. Kramer but, had owned it, and it got lost in like trademark world, and he started making bases and couldn't get it back oh, yet. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. So a lot of those guys in Sweden right now, in the heavier bands, are doing. Four string, whatever Euro Four XL or like right, right, right. they're doing those strong B through D and tuned the whole step down so it's A through C. Wow. That's a big yeah. thing yeah, yeah. because apparently playing a five string would lose all cred. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big thing in Nashville too. Uh, I would get the side eye for the five string sometimes. <laughs> side eye. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and. Uh, and but yet the the guys that refuse to play five they just bring four a few extra fours out on the road and they tune they string and B through D yeah. Yeah. and I've done that and I just uh, doesn't feel right to me yeah. and also the way the the D string sits where the G string is and the, sometimes the way it lands on the pickup isn't my thing mm -hmm. and of yeah. course you got to commit to it and re sort of yeah. route your nut and everything to fit the thicker strings but. So um, I always wonder what gauges do strings these guys use that tune down to A. Yeah, it's got to be like super super heavy gauge. Yeah, I think. I mean, I don't know if they make B strings thicker than one thirty five. Do they? I don't know. That's the uh, biggest. I've yeah, it's one thirty or one thirty five probably through through fifty five. Yeah. It's heavy. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, oh, that's a lot of Spectre talk, but <laughs> that's what happens. So the cool thing is, Marty, you mentioned in all this yapping, uh, a lot of the stuff from your Wikipedia page, uh, a lot of the sort of Ozfest tours and the metal stuff and uh, Kelly Clarkson, Because of You is a song you were on, which yeah. was a big hit. Cool. Yeah. And uh, also you mentioned the Celine Dion thing. What was, what, is that a song people would know that came out? Um, I played on like three songs on her last, it might have been her last album she did. I don't know if she's done more, but anyway, there were three songs I played on it, and uh, one of them was a cover of uh, Hearts Alone, so I played on that, Celine Dion covered Alone by Heart, and I played on that, so that was kind of cool. An interesting story, too, is I got paid twice for that, because with those huge pop records where there's multiple pop producers doing, like, you know, one producer does a couple songs, another producer does another couple songs, but there's an executive producer that oversees the whole thing. So we were in the we were over at the village in LA recording the music for this, and the executive producer calls and says, "Okay, you know, you're doing this heart song." And I guess he called during the session and said, "You guys have a better chance of her cutting this vocal and doing that song if you give her two different key options to do it in." So we recorded the song, and they go, "You want to? I think it was you want to drop it a whole step or drop it a half step, whatever it was." And it was like, "Cool." And 
That's some baller advice for real. I mean, that's great. Yeah, and and so I got paid twice to record the same song. So it was literally like, want to do another take? Sure. Like <laughs> it was a, considered a second song. Yeah. So also, since you've done a, some a, quite a bit of session work in LA, is the the movie score thing a big thing? Um, I never got deep into that. You know. I'd never uh, commercials. So you actually got to play music. I played so on some TV commercials. I okay. played. Uh, it's funny. It's, it's a funny story. Whenever the, whenever like late, it's happened a few times lately. The Sunset Sound, the recording studio, and uh, right on Sunset Boulevard, like mm-hmm. the Doors, Van Halen did like the first three records there. And I have a picture of me like in the room. There's like a famous room where Van Halen had a picture from their Van Halen two record. And there's like this beer cans everywhere, and and it looks like a like a practice room, but it's actually. Sunset Sound, where they did the second record during this photo, and uh, and people are like, wow, you, you recorded there, yeah. I go, yeah, I, like I went there once for a string session, the something I recorded, and I went and visited for like the cellos or whatever. But the one time I actually recorded there, I'm like, oh wow, what'd you do there? And they think I'm gonna whip out some cool, like, oh well, man, I was there when no, it was a hamburger commercial. I played on a Carl's Jr. Super Bowl commercial about three years ago. And so, like, the, it's just funny that the only thing I ever actually recorded was Sunset Sound. Like, talk about the decline of the music industry. Yeah, right. like, but, oh, wow, the, the Doors, Van Halen. The, there's pictures <laughs> of the Rolling Stones smoking <laughs> cigarettes out the front door, you know? And I recorded a hamburger commercial. There. Well, it's great. It's, cool, it's, it's for the Super Bowl, so. Yeah, it, no, it was cool. And it was, I love, and the musicians were amazing. It was a big project, but it's just yeah. funny that, like, talk, I always joke about how I miss the heyday, you know? Yeah, I mean that's a. I'm I'm I mean I just moved to LA and it's really interesting. Yeah. Everyone's talking about the heyday and yeah. Sunset Strip. It's obvious that people are trying to hold on to the heyday. Oh it's yeah, pretty, yeah. It, it's a little it's a little sad at times, but yeah. but you know I you know it's it's funny. Yeah. So Bruno, you're a you're a studio owner, producer, and multi instrumentalist. I play one on TV. So. Um, the great thing about your band, in my opinion, being a fan of a lot of the sort of melodic rock bands that had success in the late 80s, early 90s, is that you've made a freaking amazing record in current, the current era, uh, Revolve, oh, okay. from, from 2011, which I messaged you, I think, five, six years ago. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Brother, this is some fucking good music you oh, just thanks, made. thanks, man. Did so, you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, cool. play, you play all rhythm guitars and stuff, too, right? Yeah, I, I'm like a shitty guitar player. I mean, I can't, I'm not like a good soloist, but I can, you know. I'm sure you can play guitar, you can play guitar, you know. So it's weird, like, being yeah. being a songwriter, you know, from back in the day. Like, I started on the cello when mm-hmm. I was a kid. And then I just thought, okay, kiss, cello, four strings, Gene bass, Simmons, right. bass. Cello, spit blow. It's like Aerosmith, like all that. So I was like, well, you know, so I went right to the bass. But then when I was writing, it was like, you know, you can write some stuff on the bass, but and I wasn't much of a pianist. I could get my chords around the play some chords but um so I started playing guitar picking up guitar and I actually started trying to just learn by ear so I learned as, as much as I could and I would always write either on the piano or on the guitar and then it's funny because even dealing with I mean I have to say in my my minuscule career that I've had I've worked with some of the most incredible guitar players in my bands and stuff Andy and Al Petrelli and Tony Bruno and Rob Marcel, like all these guys are like insane. They're like insane. way better musicians than I am, right? At their thing. At, at their, their thing. Exactly, at their thing. Yeah. So, but it's funny though, even like guys that are amazing guitar players, I've always had to show them how to play 
songs that I wrote. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird thing. Like, you know how they always say that guitar players, like, that you could take any guitar and any amp and it sounds like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like, and it's so true, yeah, right? Yeah. So when I play something on a guitar, a rhythm guitar, I dig in a certain way and maybe like a bass player, mm -hmm. right? So, and like Andy will pick it up and be like, oh, you mean this? And of course he'll play the chords perfectly, but I go, no, no, it's not like that. It's like this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I've had to kind of, for lack of a better term, be a dick about it in, in, in certain, you know, scenarios. Reel in the skill. Sort well, of. it's more yeah. just like taste. Like, you yeah. know, my taste isn't your taste isn't your taste, you know. But sometimes when you hear things a certain way in your head, you, you want to hear them, especially when it's a critical thing like a recording that's going to be there forever. So, I mean, I've, I've had like battles with, you know, guys hate me because of that. And it's like, whatever, that's the way it goes. But, um, yeah, so I play guitar pretty good, like rhythm guitar. I don't play solos, I stay away from that. And then, you know, I play a little keyboards and, you know, I could do, you know, synths and whatever. And so, so yeah, I tend, tend to do a lot of stuff on my own. And that record I mentioned, uh, Revolve, right. 2011, is that that's drum programming? There's some programming and there's some live stuff in there too. It's like, it, it you know, I've learned, like I've gotten so many shitty, um, uh, drum sessions from guys that yeah. will record in their be be yeah. their bedroom or whatever. Like can't can't afford to go into a studio and cut it for real. Now you can actually, yeah. because all the studio prices have come down because the music business is in the toilet. Yeah. But back then people would like you know even guys like Bobby Jazombeck, you know him yeah, from yeah. Plays with Sebastian. You know, so I mixed the Riot album once, and he sent me he sent me these drum tracks. I mean, it was like god awful. Recorded. He goes, oh, dude, I recorded him in my garage, and I, I threw mics up in the rafters, and didn't it sound great? And I was like, no, it doesn't sound great. You had to replace everything. So on that album, there was a lot of bedroom or, like, garage drum recording that is totally, you know, gridded, it's locked to the grid, and sample replace. And then there's a couple of things that were straight up, like, I think it was one song that, that Steve couldn't get the hi-hat um the groove right you know even even after I fixed it it sounded fake and sounded bad so which I said you know what, I'll just program it mm -hmm. so yeah so some of the stuff I program and I'd rather not you know it's so much better even if it's sample replaced I mean, to me at least there's a little bit of you know human feel. a little bit mm -hmm. a little bit I mean these records that I hear now it's like I can't even tell half of them you know I can but I can't yeah like sometimes I go like oh dude Nickelback it's all programmed then I listen close and I go oh you could have played that you know, so I don't know. Yeah. But, you know. I'm speaking of, before I forget, complete ADD moment, but speaking of Nickelback and Spectre, they have a record from um, 2013, maybe 2011, called Dark Horse. Sure. Which Mutt Lang did. Sure. And as far as well recorded Spectre tones, because my beef with Mutt Lang, and saying that I have a beef with Mutt Lang, the guy who made all my favorite record, is a <laughs> bad too. way to start a freaking oh, yeah, sentence. Me too. But, my one beef with him, and especially on the Brian Adams Waking Up the Neighbors record, because Brian's bass player at the time had the cool best pick tone live, and then he made this record that's like 90 minutes long with full of amazing songs, and I know it's recorded with a pick, but he EQ'd out the very top end of the bass because Mutt is very specific with how small of a space every instrument has sure. in the mix. So, uh, but on that Nickelback Dark Horse record, the way he let that Spectre have the Spectre thing on top left, it sounds glorious. Yeah. I mean, it's loud for, and, and uh, if whoever unsubscribes because hating Nickelback is cool, uh, 
Hasta la vista. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, that that's one of the most well-recorded spectre tones ever. I've I've studied. Uh, there's a few songs, especially where sort of the bass carries the song in a verse with no rhythm guitar, and it's just pornographic if if you have the taste. That you're oh yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I I use that record all the time for reference. Oh yeah. Like when I want to just get really depressed and jump out a window. Yeah. I put that on. I go. Oh, I'll never get that sound. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, and that's the reason I thought of that because you were talking about Nickelback with a with a drum replacement and yeah. stuff, and that that record has to me a pretty perfect mix of like the feel and the samples. As well. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's deceiving, right? Yeah, yeah, very much so. So I got a songwriting question for you then, since I'm sure. sort of really familiar with your band and I'm a fan. Sure. Coming from Sweden and given that the current pop climate in LA is oversaturated with Swedish writers because. We are the highest per capita producing uh, pop music country in the world right now. And the thing, if you listen to Max Martin, who's behind the Backstreet Boys and Sync and all that stuff, and you, and he comes from metal too, from sure from the does. beginning, you know. And so does his uh, protege, who who is producing as many hits as him right now. To me, and I'm grossly generalizing, right? A lot of the American rock and roll bands of the late 80s, mid 80s, late 80s, early 90s, to me, they were focused on attitude and a sound and a grit and a bluesy thing, obviously, because... GNR. Yeah, it's from America, you know, and the Aerosmith and, you sure. know, a lot of the bands, your contemporaries wanted to be a cool version of Aerosmith, maybe, sure. or, or even Kiss. Sure. Uh, and so the melodic thing, with the exceptions of Boston and Journey and a few bands from the late 70s, seemed to have gone European. But your band and your song, where well, you're the you're the principal songwriter, yeah, Danger Danger to me was always a full-on pop band with with hard guitars. Like, yeah, yeah. We, so I'm curious where your melodic, who are your influences? Well, for it's that? funny. Growing up, it was all the same thing as I'm sure you looked at Van Halen and the, and Kiss and Aerosmith and Cheap Trick and all that. Because that's what kind of when I you know made my bones Zeppelin all that Sabbath right. Mm -hmm. But then. When I got a little bit older, when I was like a late teenager, I discovered all this like, you know, there was a lot of pop music that was going on. So I was like super duper, I mean, you guys, you're going to get less followers now when they hear this. I mean, I was like huge like Rick Springfield guy. Hey, uh, Mitch so, always, our buddy Mitch always said, yeah. anytime I mention uh, Rick Springfield, which yeah. is almost every day, he goes, so you, under he goes you and Bruno. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rick and Brian Adams, Rick, Loverboy, Survivor, like all of those bands that were like, that was what I was listening to at, you know, all of that was what we were listening to at the moment. So, I mean, you know, you don't want to say that you borrowed from them, but of course, at the time when we're writing, and we're, we're, we're looking at the whole music scene, and we're like, okay, well, Bon Jovi kind of had the whole like, like kind of a you know metal Bruce Springsteen mixed with Frankie and the Knockouts and all of this thing that he was doing in the beginning and we were kind of similar like again I play I play with Michael Bolton mm -hmm. and when I was 21 years old I toured with him and so but his early stuff was also in that vein like it was like kind of pop blues rock right mm -hmm. so that's where I was as a songwriter we wanted to be we always said we want to be a good-looking survivor because we said why isn't Survivor huge we said because they're, they're not good-looking dudes, and, and and I hate to say it, but that's what was going on. Now you had to have the looks the and the and the yeah. songs and everything. So we were a little bit too calculated when we were put the band together. We weren't like just a bunch of guys like dude, let's jam and jammed on riffs and came up with something. We were actually a little bit too calculated. So we were like, okay, 
the market does not have a good looking band that has CHR hit songs. And that's what we went for. And that was our mistake because the label looked at us and said, well, no, you guys are like White Snake and White Lion and Winger and this and all of that, right? And we're like, no, we're not, man. We don't, we don't want to be that. We want to just be on hit radio. We don't want to be on rock radio. And so they put us in the White Snake suits and all of that, and that was the end of us. That was, that's where, because the rock dudes were like, oh, these guys are too bubblegum. And then the, the, the bubblegum people looked at our image and were like, well, they like Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and all that, and pushed us that side. But, yeah, that's what it was. It was mainly like Rick Springfield, Mixed with a little Cheap Trick, mixed with a little Beatles, whatever we could, you know, the melodic sense all came from that at yeah. the time, so that's what we were kind of doing. And since I'm in the room with a fellow Rick Springfield, not only fan, but like yeah. admirer, yeah. Rick's melody writing, his harmony, oh, vocal, his harmony yes. arrangements. No it's, seconds. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Uh, he, uh, it's, it's funny because here in America people think of him as the soap opera actor who actually sings in tune and had a huge hit with Jesse's Girl yeah, yeah, yeah. so you go to Rick Springfield shows in America and it's like 4,000 white suburban housewife Absolutely. you go to Rick Springfield show in Sweden or Norway or Germany it's 8,000 dudes who play instruments that's musos great. That's great. he gets the same crowd so as cool. Toto yeah. or Tower of Power yeah, for Rick Springfield which I'm really happy for him about oh yeah I remember when I first met him, he was like Steve and I, my partner, we, we went to a rickshaw and it was like early, probably uh, a success or after, like right after that, and that we, was, got, yeah. we got backstage and he was like, he was fucking terrified of us because he had never seen like dudes coming to like pay him respect, you know, it yeah. was always women. As equals. So yeah, so we were like, no, 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 man, we just, we love you, man, not, you know, we're not like fanboys or anything we just like you music you so we started talking songwriting with him and he was like blown away yeah. you know he didn't he was like man i never get like guys that come to my show and i said like yeah man and then we followed him ever since amazing yeah so marty your current gig uh the lita gig yep how long you been on it seven years now oh every time somebody asks me I, I i do the math in my head i'm like oh my god i can't believe it's been seven years how, how did it come about um it started, I, I first got a call from her manager, and, and I, he was already a buddy of mine. So he was like, he goes, hey man, he goes, Lita Ford, that'd be something you'd be into, you know? <laughs> and I was like, and I go, I and I was actively looking for a tour, because the, the, it was 2012, I was kind of like, you know what, the, the session world, I wanted to just live in the session world, and it was just, 2008, it just all started dwindling and disappearing. I was like, I want to get back, and plus I was missing the road too. So 2012, I was... Like, I want to get back out there as just the hired guy to just play on fun tours. That's what I did for, like, ten years before I got into the session world, you know? So, uh, he goes, and but I knew that she had, you know, disappeared for 15 years, and I knew that she was back, because I read music news and I see tours and all that stuff, and I knew that, like, from 2009 to 2010, 11, she was back, but she would just do, like, Rocklahoma, like, one other festival, just, like, a few things. So because he was my buddy, I, I knew I could like be honest with him. And I go, I go, I go. Yeah, I am looking for a tour, but is she still a thing? But I go, but what is she yeah. doing? Like, because yeah. I just thought that she was just doing select stuff. And he goes, I go, but what is she doing? You know, what's coming up? Because I don't want to commit to a thing and have it be three shows over the whole summer. So I go, well, so what is she doing? He goes, oh, dude, new albums coming out, produced by Gary Hoey and her, like, uh, coming out, and she's t opening for Def Leppard all summer in arenas. Or, Let's do this, you know, because yeah. those are rare. Like I'd done like Ozfest yeah, yeah, tours yeah, and all that, yeah. but in this era, 
those big tours with like catering and, and smooth sailing and fun <laughs> and good times in arenas doesn't happen anymore. So I was yeah. like, let's do this. And it worked out. So I thought that it was him that was like, I got the guy. So then she looked me up and he goes, he goes, she, she goes, she totally digs you. She's checked you out on the internet and read all your stuff to people you played with. She goes, but of course she wants to meet you. You know, there was no audition. She just wants to meet you, you know? It's like, oh, cool. So a couple weeks later, I go to this Golden Gods award show, um, like a award show. He goes, Lita's going to be there tonight. He goes, go up and say hi to her, you know? Oh, okay, cool. It's going to be my first time meeting her, you know? So uh, I'm there, and I and I met her. I can't remember if it was right before I met her or after, but John Moyer, the bass player for Disturbed, comes up to me. He goes, oh, what's up? He gives me a hug. He goes, oh, by the way, you're welcome. I go, for what? He goes, the Lita gig. I go, what do you mean? He goes, she asked me to do the gig, because I, I had met her through that rock and roll fantasy camp thing, and we had jammed on some stuff, and he goes, she calls me up and says, hey, I want you to play bass for me. And he goes, I can. I'm doing this new band, Adrenaline Mob. And he goes, so I can't do it. He goes, but I got the guy for you. He goes, go to MarioBryan.com. He goes, he's played for everybody. Trust me, you know. And she was like, I don't know. You know, He goes, trust me, he's played for everybody. You know. And so it turns out John is the one that referred the gig to me. And what's crazy about that is he had just gotten the Adrenaline Mob gig, and I had run into Mike Portnoy, and I was like, hey, I heard you got a new band you're putting together, you know? And I go, uh, I go, uh, I'm looking for a gig. You guys need somebody? And he goes, actually, we are. He goes, uh, and I told him who I'd played for and stuff. And that my, when I was a teenager, my band opened Dream, for Dream Theater and all that. And, and, uh, but anyway, I told him who I played for recently. And he goes, he goes, yeah, he goes, we're looking for somebody, you know? And he goes, well, we'll be in touch. And he goes, but I'll, I'll tell you, he goes, there's a guy coming on Saturday that we're pretty sure he's the guy. He's coming to jam, you know? He goes, but if that doesn't work out, you go, we're going to call you and talk about it or whatever. And it turns out that was John that was going down <laughs> on Saturday. So John got the Adrenaline Mob gig, and because he was busy doing that, I got the Lita gig. Oh, Isn't that weird? Anyway, That's so it was, really it was good John Moyer. glad I asked, yeah. man. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what I thought was going to be a, just a fun summer tour, like I even remember the Facebook post I put up. I go, hey, everybody, I took a, took a job for the summer. Here's the tour dates, Lita Ford and Def Leppard, you know, like the dates. Like I really thought it was just a summer gig, you know, because every, every gig I've ever done, it's like, okay, there's the gig. And it's always based on an album cycle, and then the tour would be over. And then, like, I, you know, Tommy Lee would go back in the studio for years, and I'd go play with other people. And, and it has been a nonstop gig for seven That's years awesome. because it's no longer based on an album cycle. It's just all spread out through the year among weekends. And You're, you're doing what, what I call country touring, which isn't yeah. super common for L.A.-based yeah. tours, where it, it's almost like a day job. Your work week is like Thursday through yeah. Sunday, and then you're home with the kids or, or yeah. your other job, Monday, have, Tuesday, Wednesday. I have gigs in the calendar March of 2020. Not not a ton, but they're spread out where oh, I wow. know that yeah. I have stuff spread out. It's like it, crazy. It, it, it's, not a, it's not a crazy like, oh, this will make me rich and famous, but it's such a wonderful, I hate to throw around the, the word, but it's a wonderful blessing because yes. you're... you're your bass playing becomes like a regular job in the best sense of yeah. the word, kind of. And I still do session stuff, and I do other things, you know, that make me happy. So it's like, it's it's this amazing feeling of like, like okay, I'm on one of the biggest rock tours ever right now. That's how it was before. Like, wow, playing for like Disturbed or Tommy Lee, it was always, but but I don't know how I'm gonna pay my rent. And like, I wonder who, I wonder how I'll be paying the rent in December. Like, it's like a summer tour. Like, cause you know it'll be like. And you can hang on to your money, whatever. But like, I wonder who I'll be playing for in the summer because this album cycle will be over soon. And you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And this has been nice to just like, it's like found a cool home, and she's super cool. And yeah. We just we all we're a cool little team. It's just like six yeah. people that that 
go all over the place. Yeah, it's, it's cool. and I, I I laugh now that I what I shrugged off is just a summer tour, has been one of the longest things I've ever done. Yeah. So Crazy. on that, I see your social media, and it's a lot of uh, airplane pictures and stuff. <laughs> yeah. By the way, people, everyone should follow Marty not only because he's a great bass player, but because he you post some great photos. Oh, thanks. Uh, really well taken photos and fun photos. Uh, but since you're doing mostly uh, fly gigs. Are you just are you bringing anything more than the Spectre? Do you have a small pedal board, or a, is uh, it just like no, bass into I, whatever ampeg? Just two bases in one of those Anki cases that holds two. Yeah. And um, little little Sure Wireless. It's actually a pedal. It's a like got a the same pedal. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the um, I I'm an Aguilar guy, and that's number one on the list for just backline gear. So mm -hmm. there's usually an Aguilar, but if not, it'll be an ampeg. And uh, I don't care what Ampeg thinks if they don't like the story, but when an Ampeg is right, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But there's a 50 to 70% chance <laughs> it's going to sound like there's a weird fuzz pedal hidden inside the amp. Like, what Absolutely. is that? And I don't know if it's like getting thrown around or it's old tubes or whatever, but it's usually horrible. Not based, not because it was made horrible, but maybe it's just over time. I don't know. And all you know is... You could give me an Aguilar in Australia. You can give me an Aguilar in, like, South America, anywhere. You plug it in, I close my eyes, I would swear it's my amp at home. They are so consistent, you know. So anyway, cool. now I, if if the tour manager tells me they don't have Aguilar, it's Ampeg, I go, okay, cool. If, they, if it's on, it's it'll be great. But I fly with one of those little Aguilar Tone Hammer 350. It feels like an empty metal case. Mm. And you put it on top of an Ampeg 810, and it will power that thing no problem. Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind, and I'm just happy. So I'll bring it just in case, you know. And uh, I just reviewed the Tonehammer 700 for oh, Premier Guitar. I think yeah. it comes out next month. Yeah, I saw that at NAMM. Pretty, must be... pretty solid piece of gear. Yeah. It blows my mind that, that the little 350 can power the A10, so the 500 must be even better, and the 700 must be even better than that. Yeah. So it's just, just the headroom for days, you know. What's your throw-and-go fly rig? Nowadays. I really do. I'm not that particular. You know, I yeah. used to be super particular back in the day when I had tax, but then when I had to start carrying shit, I was just yeah. like, yeah. you know what? In the beginning, I really cared, like, too much yeah. tones, strings, yeah. all of that. Yeah. And now I've learned that, like, when I look in the crowd, I go, they don't. I go, they, these people don't know what tone is. They don't know what my heat. They, there's a, a couple of them, you know, and I apologize to those two or three people. <laughs> <laughs> and then those other, the, the other people just, you know, they care if you're having a good time. Yeah. So for me, it's like, yeah, if my bass sounds like crap, which it does probably half the time I do gigs, I kind of just grin and bear it. And then they're, like you said, you'll, you'll get that one good amp every once in a while. I used to bring stuff with me, but now I just, whatever's there. I, I'm not very particular. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wish I could be, but I'm... Because the tone's in the hands. Well, yeah. it's not so much because the tone is in the hands. It's just because I, I can't carry all this stuff. Yeah. I'm like, you know, man. It's hard enough for me to carry a ten-pound bass in one of those, and you're you're carrying two, right? I'm checking his luggage, though. So. Oh, you do the checking thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm. Uh, which I could tell you differently, yeah. but that's that's the reality of it. So Mesa Boogie, who I've been with for ten years, uh, amp-wise, they have a Class D metal box that weighs nothing amp yeah. too that I've had on tour for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called a Subway 800, mm -hmm. and uh, basically the preamp in that thing, I use the DI just live on tour mm. for bus dates out of my amp, and then on fly days I wouldn't even carry the tiny light amp, yeah. and then me and the other boys in the band in the in-airs would have to have whatever DI that the rental company had, 
And then so many subway users told Mesa that, oh, we love this preamp. Can you give us a preamp without the power amp so we can... So now I have a little... Uh, the amp that I normally play through, the DI tone that I'm used to on bus dates, I now have on fly dates without any extra gear. Cool. Uh, Maybe so you guys could tell me what I should buy. <laughs> so this <laughs> is my this. amp that I've played on tour forever. Now it's in a pedal that costs a hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. So this thing you just plug into what, like an effects loop or something? Whatever head that's... Straight, straight into the head if I don't like the head. Oh, I love this octave. It's the best octave pedal ever. That mid boost makes it not muddy in the PA. Yeah. Sounds a little aggressive through an amp, but through oh, PA. I love it. But so this is MXR's version of a uh, MXR based DI M80, by the way, for anyone who's not looking, which is everybody. So this is their version of a Sans amp. So finger style, I'm just have this for a DI, which colors it just enough to where it doesn't sound like a boring DI. Mm -hmm. This you know my amp I'm used to. And if I play with a pick, I just need to warm up the low end and cut some mids usually. Uh, to make it sound like an amp tank, and then I use that. So, um, cool. So it's it's a way for me to do fly dates with the exact same tone I would record with at a session to my laptop, or so basically I don't have to compromise when I fly at all. It's the same tone that I I'd play for stuff where I could have whatever I wanted. That's cool. Yeah. Very, so yeah. Very cool. Plywood. I just wanted to make sure it fit in every gig bag I own. Yeah. <laughs> I used great. to I used to travel with a what you call it the. The Tech 21, the thing. Yeah, the sound I, I used to use that for a little bit, and, yeah. then, and then I found that it's like it, sound, it sounded just as bad as the amp that was on the. <laughs> I don't mean bad, like yeah. if you d you're able to dial it in. Yeah. But I didn't really know the particulars about it, and so yeah. I got frustrated. So, uh, the first Danger Danger hit out the door was Naughty Naughty, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that has, that's a, one of the few sort of uh, songs of that era, to me, where the main riff's on bass. Yeah. Like I was telling you, like, you know, I usually write on guitar and piano, but that one, that was actually inspired by, you ready for this? Like, back in, the, in, that, in those days... There were a lot of songs that started with, you know, with bass and chorus on it, and I was like, I want to write one of those kind of songs. So that was it. Yeah. So I just kind of picked up the bass and started playing riffs, and I was like, hey, this one sounds cool, and yeah. turned into that song. Cool. And that, that actually was the Pink Spectre, uh, and Lance, the producer that produced our album, was such an asshole about this, but he, like on half the songs, he made me take off the top two strings. <laughs> yeah, or he made me, or he taped them down. He taped them down to the fretboard and said, don't, don't just play the lower two strings. And I was like, what are you, nuts? Like, are you out of your mind? And I was like, <laughs> almost in tears. Mm -hmm. I wanted to fire him. I was calling my manager going, fire this guy. He's ruining my record. <laughs> but, he's taping my bass string. Yeah, yeah. He's, I, was, I don't understand why you're taping my strings. They're buzzing too much. I'm like, oh, man. Crazy stuff. That's cool. We were, we were like a, a, you know, just a straight-ahead rock band before... Lance, the producer on first album, got a hold of us, and then he wanted to make like a Def Leppard album, and so that's kind of what it sounds like—a bad Def Leppard album, because it's all like you know everything's all the beats are straightened out. Yeah, that was one thing that he taught me that's very interesting. He used to he he like kind of challenged me. He says, "All right," he goes, he talked like this. He said, "Okay, Bruno, go go and find me a song, a hit song where there's where he used to call him a push, 
an upbeat mm -hmm. and a kick drum. He used to go, go find me a song like that and I'll let you record one. And I couldn't find one. Oh. I was looking, everything was straightened out. And I was like, oh man, I go, but it sounds so sterile and boring. But again, that's what we were going for, right? Oh, so he wow. straightened all of our songs out to make all the kicks. If it was ever a push, it was a double push. It was boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, boom, instead oh, of yeah. boom, ba, boom, boom, ba. Yeah. He would always make us have a kick drum on the downbeat. And I was like, wow, that's so bizarre. But wow. now, like, I kind of get it, and now it's ingrained in me. It's crazy. Really? <laughs> yeah, like, now when I, I do love it. <laughs> when I do an upbeat, I kind of go like, you remember. oh, I go like, oh, that, that sounds weird. I go, but that, like, it's like almost like being dangerous for a oh, second, yeah. you know? Yeah. I shouldn't be doing that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Crazy shit, right? I, uh, no matter if you're into other styles of music, check out a Naughty Naughty by Danger Danger. Yeah, it's, it's, a great, it's a great little bass riff. It's a I, classic. <laughs> it is. Played it on the pink one? Yeah, on the pink one. Yeah. You don't have that bass with you, do you? No, no. Oh, that's one you don't fly out with. No, no. I, I, I just have it in the studio. I have, like, you know, all, all, I, there's a, there's, my black one is actually one that I mainly use in the studio because the neck is, for some reason, a little bit thinner than the others. Oh, yeah? I don't know why. Oh, wow. Has a, a little thinner profile neck than the other one. It's very easy to play. What do you, what do you have with you? I just have a Euro five. Okay. Yeah. Right. Stock. Actually, you know, you know, I. That's the one other thing. I mean, sorry, sorry. I mean, go no, off on a no, tangent. No, no. But Tangents that's the only the only thing that I that I actually wasn't a fan of with the, the newer Spectres was all the, um, you know, the CS pickups and all of that. Uh -huh. And like, and so I was looking more for traditional. So yeah, I yeah, would always that. swap the pickups for P and J, yep. even if they were the the whatever the extended ones right yeah, yeah. so i was always like i mean i was calling a pj going yeah. going dude can you make me a a euro with a pj like the old days and he was like no but you know well if you do it's going to take a long time yeah blah yeah. blah unless you order a u.s one and that's like you know crazy yeah, money like six grand something uh, like yeah. that yeah and even with the discount it's a ton of money so yeah. i was like all right i go i'll deal with it so i would always swap the pickups out to try and get the Close, most I can back to the yeah, original, original uh, yeah. Spectre sound. I, mean, I, have a, I have a couple I will never fly with too, but same thing, you know. But I want to see that pink one in person though, man. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll bust it out one of these days. What, what I'll do, and I've been bad about this so far on the podcast, maybe I'll, when we all get home to our computers and our normal lives, I'll ask for some pictures sure. and, yeah. and then I'll post on the Lowdown Society podcast, uh, Facebook and Instagram, I'll post the pink oh, base because oh, yeah, you yeah. mentioned it like five times and yeah. every, everyone's at home drooling trying yeah. to Google, I'm sure. So. All the, all the guys on the uh, Spectre thing, like I put up a picture once on the Spectre oh, group, yeah. and they were all like, they were like, dude, and I'm just going, wow, I didn't know that that bass was so like, you yeah. know. It's like, but, it's like vintage P bases, like right. the custom colors, like, you gotta, what is a yeah. cherry, you know, like a golden sunburst, like, what is this? It's like a gem, <laughs> like a hidden gem, you know, it's cool. Yeah. So what's, what's up next? More Lita dates for you? More Lita dates, yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just back to the, you know, every... Every other weekend, or almost every weekend, we just got some shows. It's starting to pick up more, and cool. Yeah, fly dates. And what's how, how what kind of how many dates a year is Danger Danger? Danger? We don't do much these days, just because uh, you know it's like it's weird with us. We're kind of like um, we're, we're a fringe band, right? Mm -hmm. So in Europe, we could play bigger places and bigger profiles and, and do very well. But in the states, we either have to be relegated to what I call is like, you know, dirty club land, like that whole yeah. LA Guns, Faster Pussycat kind of scene where you're grinding it out in these like clubs and there's like a hundred people there if you're lucky. And I'm like, I'm ah, sorry, I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. So, I, I was saying that these cruises and like things like M3, yeah. Rockahoma, they're such great 
things for reuniting bands that you know that like is perfect for it you know right right and fairly professional production and yeah, yeah. clean and yeah. good yeah. food and like yeah. Yeah. good buddies so we just we just do uh the dates that are a little bit like you were like you mentioned the m3s and this yeah. and stuff where the pay is is fair yeah. and where you know we'll get we'll be able to play in front of a nice crowd do a proper so show yeah like and that. and in europe you know so i'll be doing some shows and i'm going to be at sweden rock again and oh uh, cool and uh um it's Frontiers Fest, all you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah. but uh, and just you know, staying busy in the studio. That's great. Yeah, yeah you yeah. produce a lot of other acts too. Yeah, well, it's again, like you're saying, it's doing this now. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm not trying to fool anybody. But uh, you know, I stay busy however I can. You know, I I can even do something silly like uh, I'll, I'll produce some crap for some you know rich chick in my neighborhood yeah. that has a daughter or something. I don't care at this point. So I just like to. It's weird when, when you know, because I'm in my mid fifties, or I'm gonna be fifty five. So, um, like sometimes when I'm in the studio or even playing the bass, like I gotta really, you know, go back and practice and look at the computer screen and you know, oh yeah, right, I forgot you have to high pass this and do that. Like I, I, I have to keep doing it or else I have to relearn it. So I just try and stay busy, even if it's not for monetary gain. I just yeah, continue yeah. to do busy, it. Yeah. Just you so love I, it. I'm sure you love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I enjoy actually more. I mean, I enjoy this stuff. It's great because, again, like connecting with you guys, I would normally never see you guys, you know? Yeah. Send a message on Facebook or something. What's up, dude? You know, so I like that for this reason. But for the other reasons, it, it's, you know, it's got to, you know, get my shit together and play and all that. So I prefer doing studio work and creating a lot more getting tones and stuff where I can. We're in a controlled atmosphere, you know? Like whipping out my old Ampegs and micing them up and yeah, yeah. mixing them with this and that. I like doing like a mad scientist. I yeah, really of prefer course. that. Yeah. What's your favorite, since this is a, a rock round table, what's your favorite old Ampeg when you can record? Oh, I have a, a, a 60s like silver face. That's just a yeah. beast. Yeah. I had it, you know, all custom retubed and recapped and everything. Yeah. And I don't ever like I just have it set up and it just stays there. Yeah. So when when someone can appreciate that kind of a tone, a lot of times people don't care. Yeah. They'll just plug into a DI and go, Oh, that sounds good, let's go. It sounds like a, a tone. Yeah. Sounds like a bass. Yeah, that's the other thing. You get all these people that go, Well, you're so particular about bass sounds, like why? You don't hear them on a record and I go, Kinda you you don't, but then there's you guys that do hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you <okay>. know. <laughs> so I have a seventy four S V T and uh I've had it all redone too, yep. and and I when I bought it, I fell in love with it so much because it made me play less. Like the tone was so good, I I started playing dumber bass lines, which everyone else loves, you know, yeah. obviously, because just holding a note, poetry would happen. Yeah. You know, like I love yeah. playing ballads through it, and then of course normal hard rock sitting on yep. one note and just chunking away. I had more fun with that amp playing standard bass stuff than any other amp yeah and i started telling my friends i think i have a special svt everyone likes to think their old amp is special but i bought a few more when i was doing a few tours where i was balling for a second i bought like three more vintage svts and a beat them and switched out the tubes and everything nothing came close to mine yeah. wow. nothing so not even the other old ones yeah and so the other day actually two weeks ago our friends from the rock and roll residency the cover band here sure. who are also now the band for Gene Simmons and Ace Freely. Yeah. They said, hey, we're coming to the Agora Club, which is like nine minutes from my house. And they said, uh, the rental company screwed up. We need to rent the bass amp for tomorrow. I said, I have a vintage SVT. You guys can play. 
So they played the Ace show a few weeks ago. I come afterwards, pick it up myself, put it in my SUV. I drive home. I get separate texts from all the band members in Ace's band. Separate texts yeah. about 20 minutes apart that, oh, the bass has never sounded that good. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's cool. Man. Yeah. And that's so I figured, you know, if you have a magic wand at home to record with, it really can just make your life better. I'm not if sure you're if it's a magic, but, you yeah. Know. Yeah, it's an old SVT, makes you happy. I have a bunch of them, like, it's, like I I bought a lot of amps from, like, the old, like, I like uh, have Marshalls that I bought from, like, Twisted Sister. Yeah. Like, the old stuff that was, like, when they had a wall of amps, and I have, like, uh, um, a, a, uh, two black faces mm -hmm. that were 70s that I bought from, or the guy from Zebra, mm -hmm. like, he, it were his amps, and so I have all these amps, and I look at them, and I go, what am I going to do with these things? Like, I'm going to drop dead, and my wife's going to end up selling them in a garage sale. So sometimes I think about selling them, but I'll never sell the, the silver the, the silver yeah. fest one. That one I, I always uh, have to leave in the studio. So I'm trying to think before we end if I missed some stuff off your Wikipedia pages. And I didn't know... My Wikipedia pages is empty. No, it's not. There's some good stuff in there. So you mentioned playing as a sideman for Michael Bolton when he yeah, first came yeah, out. Sure. It also says you played for the German singer Nana. Yeah. Played for Nana. I did a tour with her. I played in White Lion for a while. That oh. was fun. Was, was that was a that's the classic story. I'll tell you real quick. So I, I was friends with Greg D'Angelo, the, the mm -hmm. drummer, who maybe you guys are friends with. He lives in L.A. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So Greg calls me. He's like, "Oh, uh, Dave, the bass player in White Lion, quit. You want the gig? You want to audition?" And I was like, "Oh man, are you kidding? Of course." Because I saw Tramp like in a club in New York in the '80s. And I saw him, and I was like, "That dude's a star. Mm -hmm. He might not have a great voice." I go, "But I go, that guy's yeah. a star." So I went and audition. I got the gig, and so I was in the band for maybe four months or so, and we were doing club dates, and you know they were trying to get a deal or whatever. And so Greg says to me, he says, uh, "Hey man, he goes, you write a lot of songs. He goes, you should show your songs to Mike and, and Vito." And I'm like, "I go, you think they would care?" And he's like, he goes, yeah, man. He goes, you know, they're looking for songs. They're always trying to write. Maybe you should show them what you got. And I go, okay, well, you know, I'll ask him. So I go into rehearsal. We rehearsed in the basement of Lamore in Brooklyn because they were managed by the guys that owned the club. Wow. So there was like this dingy room with a mirror on one wall and a whole wall of amps on the other side. Of, right? So I walk in and Vito's sitting in front of his marshals, like noodling around on 10, of course, <laughs> not caring about anybody's ears, right? <laughs> So I, I'm like, you know, like waving my hand in front of him, and so he stops, and I go, hey man, I go, uh, I go, I don't know if you're interested, I go, but you know, uh, I go, Greg, you know, told me to tell you, I go, I write, I got a lot of stuff, I go, if you want to like get together one day and maybe kind of, you know, I could play you what I have, or we could work on something together, whatever. So he just goes like this, he goes, he looks up and he goes, you're the bass player, play the bass, and then he wow. looks down and continues noodling. <laughs> so that was when I knew, I go, I can't. Oh. I can't stay in this band. Yeah. Oh, this is never gonna happen for That's me. That's so disappointing. Yeah. yeah. So and I so. love and I, you know until to this day I'm still friendly with all of them. I love all of them. I just saw Mike upstairs. Yeah, nice but, guy. But uh, yeah, so so I did the the Nana thing and uh, it was in '97, I think. How did that come about? Um, uh, Tony Bruno, who I'm sure you're familiar with, who's like a big MD Rihanna Enrique Iglesias and all of this stuff, right? So he always calls me for gigs that he thinks that I might go for. And uh, for some reason, like he got me the gig with Michael Bolton, and then because um, it was him that put together the band, and then he called me because he knew I loved that music, 
So uh, that was a no-brainer for him. And then with the Nana thing, um, he just called me on a whim. He was like, I don't know if he'd be interested in this because it's in Germany. And he goes, we're going to be playing like soccer stadiums with this band. Poor? Is that what they're called? It's like this German folk band. They kind of sound like Genesis. Wow, they're okay. huge. Okay. E-U-R with umlauts over the U. Wow. Which is it, a, a German Y, so pure is how you would say it in pure, German. Yeah, pure, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. huge. They're like Garth Brooks. I mean, it's okay. like crazy. Never heard of them. It, go, Google them. Like I it. will. Yeah, so we, um, so I got the audition, you know, doing that. And that was fun. Van Romain was playing drums, who plays with uh, Enrique now for a million years, and also played with the Dixie Dregs, Steve Morse, and all that. He's a killer fucking drummer. So I played with him and Tony, and yeah, and we did the, a tour of all, all, like it was like uh, two months in Germany and like crazy stuff. I learned a lot of bad German words. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, well, and then I, I did some, you know, one-off records and stuff like that. I played yeah. with, uh, what's his name, uh, Rod Price from Foghat. I did some records with him. That was a strange one. I get in the studio, and they were like... They just came up to me and they go, all right, it's blues, da, da, da. And they threw like a, whoa, 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 calm down. I go, I don't know anything about charts or anything like that. I go, you got to play me the song. Go, How does it go? And I'm like sitting there sweating, <laughs> oh, no. sweating because it's like totally, like that's something like you would be like, oh, no problem. Or maybe you, I don't know. But like, I'm, that's foreign to me. Even though I can read music playing the cello on bass, it's like foreign to me. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's all, all my ears. So it's like, I have to sit there and like sweat. I was sweating, so nervous, and they were like showing me the progressions, and I'm like, all right, I got it, I got it, I got it, and I was able to do the gig, but, oh my God. <laughs> I'm not the guy you call up for a blues date or something, like, you know, just to step in and learn back. I, I have to do my homework and shit. All I really wanted to know about all the little side side hustles and other gigs you've done, because you're in a band that, that had a fair amount of success and, and still in that band today, yeah. I think people need to know what other crap you've been up to yeah i like to yeah. kind of stay in the background i mean i'm yeah. not I, I'm, I would like to say i'm i'm so well versed that i can handle any gig but i'm not i'm a just a, a rock bass player you know so i like to stay in my lane and and i'm never one of these guys that like goes i mean look look if i were to go to like that um uh the thing in, in la that you guys do at the bowling alley whatever oh yeah I mean, oh, lucky like, strike. right like yeah. that i could jump up and do something no yeah, problem of course. Oh, yeah, you'll... but like you know like when this guy's just jamming in a in a club and these guys like know every every song i get really self-conscious and i go like nah i go it's not my thing i go you guys like i'll stay here and just have a beer and clap you guys <laughs> you guys know rick springfield uh, yeah right right yeah <laughs> no. no i mean i know the obvious you know the obvious tracks all the yeah. metal stuff and all that so, Marty, I know that you've played... He mentioned the bowling alley. This is a great segue. Yeah. He mentioned the bowling alley, which is Lucky Strike in yeah. Hollywood, which there's a monthly jam called Soundcheck Live. Right. Derek Frank, who's been on this podcast, great bass player and great dude. He plays for Gwen Stefani right now. He's just with Shania. He just subbed for Shakira. Is that the like the big guy that plays the bass up no, here? No, he's very small. <laughs> oh, who's the guy that plays with Shania? He still plays with him. He's like a... Like, almost looks like a... He's on a romance novel or something. Long hair. Oh, I don't oh, know. Oh, her MD back in the day when she was the biggest selling artist right. in the world. Right. His name is Andy Sishon. Okay. Andy Sishon's from Australia. That's the guy. He, he lives in Brooklyn many years, and he is the MD for Billy Joel for many years. Right. Wow. That's why I just saw him. I just saw Billy Joel at the garden. Yeah, that's right. Andy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wow. interrupt he you. Is, he is as, as deeply musical and incredible on bass as he is a good bodybuilder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, no, I some of the guys from the original Shania band back in the day when she had the biggest tour on earth, right. when Mutt hired the musicians, they're some of my uh, best friends in Nashville and some of my favorite players, and they uh, sing Andy's praises like few other musicians. Wow. So he's a, he's a really, I haven't had the pleasure to hang out with him, but yeah, he's great. I remember Van was telling me a story that he auditioned for that tour. Mm -hmm. And he said that, you know, with Mutt and Shania, and, whatever, and he, had to, he had to go in and just play to the tracks, like there was no band. It was him playing to the tracks. So he, he did the audition and he did very well. And then he thought he, was, he had the gig. And then at the last minute, you know, they called him and said that they picked whoever yeah. ended up playing. And, I, and he, he goes, I just had a curiosity, like, why did he get the gig and, and I didn't? I thought I did well. And he goes, he, uh, who's the drummer's name that got the gig? Do you know? J.D. Blair. Okay, so he goes, Paul Black Guy. He says, so how did he get the gig? And he goes, he goes, well, he said he made the click disappear. Yep. Yeah. And I never forgot that. Yeah. I was like, ooh, that's deep, yeah. man. He made the click disappear. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Heavy, that's right? cool. <laughs> yeah, so I want to tell you one much story before we go back to the question I was going to ask yeah. you. So... I have a lot of stories about Mutt from those rehearsals for the, the Come On Over tour, her sure. second humongous tour, and the Up tour, but the Come On Over tour specifically. And they were in production rehearsals, which of course, when you have a full crew and a nine-piece band, it's millions of dollars for a few months, it's just, you know, before you even start the tour. And Mutt would sit with the two guitar players and program, because they were using Digital Performer. I was on that tour visiting one day, and they showed digital, me the whole guitar. Wow, digital Performer was doing all the guitar switches. Okay. And my buddy Randall, one of the lead guitar players, also from Australia, said he had 240 patch changes in one show. What? And it was all trying to copy exactly what was on, like, say, verse, second half of the second verse in one ballad. It's a different clean tone than the first verse. Oh and, my and, and Mutt, of course, being Mutt, wanted all of that. And, uh, but the greatest story they've told me was when they were rehearsing at their, at the time they had a compound, a big farm up in New York State. And they would rehearse there for this tour, and money was no object because the tour was, you know, they're no, they're gonna sell about two years because uh, the record was uh, like twelve million. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Mutt, he's a big news junkie, he's a current events junkie, and he would he would sit in the corner. They would have this big long table, like band and crew, thirty people eating dinner every night after long day of rehearsal. Everyone's just dead because Mutt's been beating them. So he's in the corner reading a newspaper in his like grandpa chair. <laughs> and uh, Jukebox Hero by Forner comes on, the little stereo system or radio. And one of the guys in the band and crew who didn't know much produced it, he goes, man, you know what he sings? One guitar and there's a guitar chord? Man, it sounds like 50 guitars. Mutt looks up from behind the newspaper, he goes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> just that's so, awesome. So I was just want to ask you about Soundcheck Live. Yep. Is you've played there with Nuno quite a few times, yeah, right? Yeah. And the reason that we're going to end now is because you've almost missed half of Nuno's set here on the boat, which oh, you wanted okay. to catch. So that's like the best. Oh, that's, that's that's how it goes. Good. Well, this was awesome, dudes. I appreciate Absolutely. this so much. And uh, this about eleven, twelve episodes in, I had my first rock and roll hang. So yeah, what we'll, we might have to do a part two on another boat are, another yeah. time. Sure, man. I appreciate it. Cool. Awesome. See y'all later.
I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Lowdown Society and the first rock roundtable format. Um, I hope in the future to get many players together at the same time too. It offers a fun, different dynamic. Keep telling your friends on social media or in person. And please check out our Instagram and our Facebook page for this podcast. It's still a very, very small podcast. And I'd love for as many bass players as possible to know about it. Because uh, there are so many great guests that deserve to be heard and who has more wisdom than I could ever have on my own. So please do that. And I hope to see you all back here. So everybody stay low, stay funky. And I'll see you right back here at the Lowdown Society Podcast. <laughs>